All right, what is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another day of Saber Sims DFS Office Hours. It is Monday, December 5th of 2022. Uh, you know, just wrapping up the NFL Week 13. Got a Monday night football showdown on tap for you tonight, as well as an eight-game NBA slate. And last but not least, a six-game NHL slate, three sports of dfs action coming at you tonight should be a fun night for those of you who are new here welcome my name is andrew i am one of the coaches over here at saber sim this is a show where we go over how to use the saber sim app answer any and all dfs related questions that come in in the office hours channel in our discord server or live in the youtube chat if you're just tuning in have questions that you want to get answered Throw them in the YouTube chat, and we will make sure to get to everything. If you're not in our Discord, there is a link in the description below to get joined up. Highly recommend it. Lots of awesome DFS conversation happening over there in the channels every single day. So to start off the show, we are going to get it kicked off with our weekly max challenge. Been running it all NFL season. Going to be announcing the winners for this week's weekly max challenge and to start it off the winner for highest scorer of the week in the mini max was uva j this is the this is uva j's second time being the highest scorer this season was the highest score in week one and is the highest score in week 13 with a score of 213.08 points for 35th in the mini max congratulations you are going to get all of these awesome prizes again for for finishing so uh, our team will reach out to you congratulations on that and now we are going to do the spin for our tickets to next week's mini max this this week we had 136 people continuing to participate each and every week highly recommend it so you can get all of those awesome end of the season prizes uh if anybody wants to check this out you know there is a link in the with the stream link to check to make sure your name is on here we always make that available for everybody participating so that being said gonna do the spin here to see who gets tickets to next week mini acts looks like the winner will be well, congratulations. I will make sure that the team reaches out to you, and I am happy to wrap up another successful week of the weekly Max Challenge. Still time to get in on the action and uh, still prizes to be given away. So if anyone looking for more info on that, you can find it at sabersim.com slash weekly max challenge or just reach out to anybody in the Discord and our team will uh, let you know where to find more info in regards to the max challenge. So awesome there, everybody going to be jumping over to SaberSim now. Let me get SaberSim pulled up here, and then we will get going with the show. Just a couple questions so far in the chat. So if anybody has any questions, uh, now is a good time to get them in. Going to start with this question from Jay Sams Jr., and the question is, what is considered in your definition as a min unique? Okay, good question here. So I'm going to do this for NBA for today's eight-game slate. I think this is a great space uh, 
spot to start. So I'm just going to run 500 lineups really quickly. That way we just have a lineup set to work with here. And then we can kind of talk about this a little more. So, so in its, in its rawest, like basic definition form, a minimum unique. So there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. There are nine players in a fan duel NBA lineup. Minimum one unique means that any other lineup can share eight of the nine players, but one player has to be different. And that is true when Min Uniques is set to two and Min Uniques is set to three. It's the same principle that, you know, every single lineup can share X players, but Y players must be different. That you are changing the Y when you are changing the Min Unique player uh, value in the box. So, you know, you change it to three saying, okay, you know, now every single lineup from every other lineup in my set of 20, for instance, can share six players, but must have three different. And, and that is what a min unique is. And the reason it's important is because, you know, you could have lineups with similar uh, expected value, but if they share a lot of players, then they're either going to all do really good or all do really bad. And that is bad for smoothing out your variance. So you could have lineups with similar expected value, but low inter lineup correlation. Then when one lineup does bad, that does not mean that your other lineups will do bad in that instance. And that is good for smoothing out variance. So that is why we stress getting diverse using this feature. And that is kind of what it means. So if you have any more questions about it, just let me know and we will continue to talk about it. All right. Uh, Going to touch on a question from Neil. Neil and I have been uh, communicating this morning. I think this is a good topic. So Neil said, is there a manual element to the ownership projections or is it all through an algorithm? I feel like there should be some sort of red flag when someone like Garrett Wilson yesterday is only projected for 13% ownership. It makes a huge difference when building lineups. Saberson is constantly way too low with ownership projections on the chalkiest players on the slate. The same thing happened with Rashad White, Jeff Wilson, and Chiefs D last week. And um, I went on to share a video with uh, Neil. I, I told him, you know, happy to talk about this on stream. We've had similar discussions in the past, and I wanted to uh, share share some of those uh, videos where where we've discussed this topic. So one video that I would recommend to to anybody, or if you're like looking for more information on, on any single topic, you can go to our YouTube channel. You can hit this search bar. I, all I did, I typed in ownership. We did this video here. Uh, DFS Q&A is ownership in DFS, the ultimate game theory aspect. Talked about ownership for like the majority of the show. Uh, I think we were mostly talking about NBA ownership, but really the same principles apply. We we do our ownership in really a, a very similar way, uh, you know, still algorithm-based, based, no manual review. So if anybody is looking for like a deep dive into ownership, I would highly recommend watching this video we're going to touch on it but not go into such a deep dive today but uh you know i asked I, I i sent that to neil i said hey neil you know this is like a really good resource for you to check out if if you are wondering more about ownership so so neil did that said thank you you know he appreciated it and had a couple of um of follow-up so i'm, I'm really going to touch on this follow-up here from neil so neil said you know thanks watch the video uh 
really helpful. You know, th- th- this is my follow-up. And he said, my goals of bringing this up are pretty much as follows. One, I don't feel like I'm smart enough to make proper manual adjustments on my own. Maybe I need to change my thinking, but I suspect many, many SaberSim users are similar in this thinking. Two, I catch these massive differences by using outside sources. I'd like to get to a point where I feel like SaberSim ownership projections are usable and eliminate the need for outside sources. Wouldn't some manual adjustment on the SaberSim end be very helpful for everyone? For example, when you see across the industry that sources have over twice the projected ownership on a chalky player, Garrett Wilson, for example, shouldn't that trigger an adjustment? The difference between an ownership projection of 13% and 33% is huge. Okay, so happy to talk about this. Neil, I think that, you know, the way you're going about it is a very good way to go about it. I think that, you know, um, making sure that, like, you're kind of trying to uh, double check what you're using and and the sources that you're using is is good for any individual's DFS process. I am not like saying, you know, SaberSim is like the end all be all in, in any of these things. What what I will say is that if you were to change anything, like anything, I think the most, the, the, the best value add you can do is change ownership kind of for the reasons that you are alluding to is that, you know, I mean, I've done some like checking on my side, but, but uh, you know, it really comes down to like a couple of things. One, Players get owned differently in different contests. So you should understand that when we are building our ownership projections, we are basing it on like the mo like the biggest contests and, and like most entries. So think about like for NFL, we are basing our ownership on like the Millie Maker is, is the best way to think about it. Like the Millie Maker or the Mini Max is most correctly going to reflect the ownership projections that we put out. Like you said, we are likely to miss on the most chalkiest of players. I think that's why the discrepancies are like people catch them so easily, but I also think that it also makes it the easiest to adjust. And like, for instance, yesterday we had Garrett Wilson at about 13% projected ownership. Um, I, I don't remember exactly what time these, these projections updated. So if I speak falsely about an outside source, uh, excuse me, but when when I checked, uh, Garrett Wilson was projected at like 23% on Stochastic and about 31% on ETR. This was like a couple hours before lock. So definitely like some conflict. ETR kind of on like the high side, Garrett, uh, Stochastic kind of in the middle and Sabersim on the low side. We have been like really upfront that like, hey, you know, on the chalkiest of players, we're probably going to be low because the way our ownership model works is – is it is it is basically saying an optimal user will play x player at at z rate and and you know i think like the the biggest component there is that not everybody is playing in an optimal fashion a lot of people are playing exploitatively there is a large percentage of the field that is not um the most consistent user like the hand builders uh probably just like jamming in the best plays so i think that is why we miss most often but i also think it makes it really easy to figure out where you can add value and you kind of hint at it in 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 one of your points you're saying um i don't feel like i'm smart enough to make proper manual adjustments 
on my own. Maybe I need to change my thinking. I, I really do, Neil. And I think that, you know, if you are asking these like very uh, thoughtful DFS questions and taking the time to check outside sources and, and, and understanding how this game works, I think that you are more than capable of making the correct ownership adjustments when they really stand out to you and catch your eye. And I think that goes for like a lot of the people who tune into this show. You know, you're putting in extra time trying to get questions answered, trying to learn, trying to listen and absorb this information. I think that, you know, the audience that we reach with this show is really the audience that is smart enough to make these um, adjustments on their own. And and I think that, you know, if 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 you can like on, on, on any given slate, come in here, sort by my own and kind of see like the highest projected plays and just kind of spot check some of these like, highest projected plays. Maybe you have the ability to use outside sources. I'll say one of the great things about the pro plan is that, you know, you can come in here, you can, you can uh, upload outside source ownership and you can average it all. Like that is kind of one of the reasons we wanted to build, build in these tools is that we know that uh, people like to do these things and, and allowing for it in the app is, is, is a great thing for us to do. You know, our ownership's never going to be perfect. I think there is value to taking some type of, uh, industry aggregate. That way you get opinions from different sources or, you know, doing manual review and making manual adjustments where you see the biggest discrepancies, uh, on your own. I think some of it comes with experience and, and you'll be able to recognize these spots, more quickly with time. So, you know, if you're, if you're saying, you know, okay, Neil can see it, but like, I can't, I think there is, you know, uh, some, some experience element, you'll see a lot of the same, uh, situations time and time again, especially in like these sports that, that, you know, uh, week after week, season after season, sometimes day after day, like NBA. So, you know, I would say trust your instincts more. Uh, don't be afraid to make manual adjustments and, you know, take a minute to, to see where ownership really comes out. If you think like, you know, you should make a, an adjustment. I'll say like the adjustments you make don't have to be perfect as long as they're like directionally right, right? So like, okay, I think Garrett Wilson's going to be more than 13% owned. Maybe you just bump it to 20, right? I mean, t- 20 is closer to 36 than than 13 is. So like just just a bump in the right direction will help Sabersim because you're, you're giving players extra ownership and then that is going to be taken into account by the ownership fade slider. So any, any, any move in a positive direction, I think is a good move, but um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of my thoughts. I I see, I see Neil's here. Uh, Neil said, thanks Andrew, by the way, sorry to convey tone in message in discord. My intention is for this to be constructive criticism and not a complaint. I love product. This is just a pain point. Uh, Yeah. Those percentages at stochastic and ETR sound accurate. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, uh, we, we definitely don't try to be like too far away. Uh, We're okay with being like underweight uh, as opposed to always like playing it safe. I think that, you know, uh, the Saberson product is, is, is really great. And um, I think that, you know, it's okay to say that our ownership is an algorithm and there are going to be spots where we miss helps our users to get better results, which is ultimately, ultimately what we want. We want our users to win. And, you know, being upfront where in places where uh, users can add value is, is only a good thing in the end. So uh, happy to keep talking about it. If anybody has any more questions, Neil, and, you know, these are things that like the team is aware of and working on in the background. Uh, so, you know, 
going to end the conversation there. But if anyone has any follow-up, let me know and we can circle back on it. Okay. Uh, good question here from GM33. I think this is a good one. Happy to talk about this. Okay. GM33 said, in this video, Max and Jordan talk about strategy with late swap and creating flexibility. They walked through a scenario with Kevin Herter. Max's audio was choppy, so I was wondering if you would be able to walk through a similar scenario on the stream. Thanks. Yep. Totally happy to do that. Uh, we can talk about that. So I think that, you know, to, to, to do this correctly, what we're going to have to do is come in here and jump over to uh, basketball monster. So let me get basketball monster pulled up here and we will do like a scenario like tonight and kind of use it as like a full on demo. So let's see what we got. So we got basketball monster pulled up now. You should be able to see it on screen. going to get this question off so we could see a little better. Going to actually move, remove myself from blocking. So, you know, a lot of, a lot of doubtfuls here tonight. Looks like the whole, we got like four doubtfuls for Memphis. So it might be like a huge Memphis value slate. Um, let's say that, you know, who has a lot of questionables, a lot of like good questionables too. Um, okay. So for the sake of this one, we're going to treat this Memphis situation as if these guys were questionable, right? So a later game on the slate, 7 PM. I think this is uh central time. So where is Memphis? Okay. Memphis is yeah. 5 PM my time, you know, eight game slate. So this will basically mean one, two, three, half of the slate has locked by the time this Memphis value uh, comes out. You know, if all these players were questionable, this would be a great spot. You know, if they all get ruled out or some of them get ruled out, I bet you a ton of value will open up. How do we kind of uh, optimize for such a scenario, right? I think the best way to do it is probably with a rule. Um, or, or I'm going to talk about the different ways to do it. So, so, you know, one of the first ways is the most extreme, you know, it's to come in here and kind of X out some of these early games. Uh, that is, you know, maybe you X out the games that start at four. That way you wait uh, closer to these 430 games to try and buy some time for the news to come out. That is like a really extreme scenario, but it is a scenario. And I've I, we've seen slates where like only one game starts at lock. And then, you know, all the other games are after, you know, so sometimes... You could go about uh, Xing out the first game. Something that I uh, will do is is like I'll only play like a portion of the players from that game. It's like, okay, you know, remove uh, all of these like cheaper guys or or lower projected guys uh, that, that are in the pool and uh, maybe like only allow, you know, some of like the higher priced or most uh, projected points into my lineup. So like maybe I'm only allowing these four guys into my lineup because I'm trying to save more spots for, for late swap scenarios. So like that is one way or two ways really of like thinking about it. Another option is to make a rule where you basically say like must play, you know, at least three players from this game. And, and the reason behind doing that is one, you're leaving roster spots open and you're also leaving salary open and you're leaving enough salary open to where you can mix and match players when the news comes out and, and see what the best way of playing those players is. I think like three is just a heuristic kind of 
uh, generally good number to use when trying to force game stacks. So, you know, if I were to say, you know, okay, maybe I want to only say it for Memphis, like, like must use at least three Memphis or must use at least three players from this game. You could do that with a rule. So I, w- I would come in here, I would make a group rule, probably automatic. And then I would say use at least three. And then I would group by game. I would say this as a manual rule. So then when I come in here and, and, and open it up, I can only leave this Memphis Miami and I can come in here and then trash all of these other ones. So I'm saying, hey, every single lineup must have at least three players from this game. It saves roster spots, it saves salary, and it allows you more flexibility. I think that's that's the key is like you want to capitalize on late breaking news, but you need to be able to. So you need two things. You need spots available in your lineups and you need and you need enough salary to be able to come up with the best uh construction with with the players that are playing that now have more minutes, more, more projected points, et cetera. So I think a rule like that is, is interesting. Um, you don't have to do like the exact game that, that it is uh, being played in, but you know, like, let's say, you know, we want to take that stance. Then now we go and build 20 lineups. Let's just like, kind of see what our lineups look like. It looked as if um, the players were doubtful, but they weren't uh, ruled out. Like they still had projections. So it, we should still see them coming up here. Okay. So right off the bat, you know, we're saying use at least three. It's giving us four uh, players from Memphis, a lot of, a lot of four players. So, you know, that's, that's almost even better in, in a lot of instances. Uh, that way it'll allow us to kind of work around that scenario. And, and not only that, but another really good thing is that there are a lot of games either at the same time or after still, you know, you still have three other games. This situation gets pretty tricky when, when say, you know, Memphis was in this five thirty window, you know, now you're saying, you know, save at least three spots. What if news doesn't break your way? What if all these players are in, um, then, you know, you only have really two games. You probably missed out on whatever little value there was in some of these earlier games. So, so that's like one caution really is like you could be playing with fire a little bit and you know, you might miss and no value opens up and like, that's okay. You know, it happens. I think you have to be uh, willing to accept those outcomes to get the outcome where the players are indeed ruled out and you capitalize it, capitalize on it in a huge way. So those are like some ways that I think of to capitalize on late swap value. Um, I will say that, you know, another aspect of capitalizing on late swap is that um, usually you're looking for like higher priced, higher projected point players to get ruled out to create value on lower owned or, or cheaper players to get extra minutes, extra fantasy points. That could mean that, you know, if somebody gets ruled out in the late game, like John Morant, maybe like the best play at the higher price was now somebody like uh trey young but you kind of the news wasn't out yet so like now you have to play um i don't know more more devin booker like luka Doncic, which isn't a bad thing but but i'm what i'm trying to get at is that getting some extra exposure to some of the best plays in the early windows like like if the news broke pre-lock Maybe maybe Jason Tatum is two times his ownership, B 
because now there is salary and and value spots in the later window, but you didn't know that, right? So there is always like a uh, chance that that taking a shot on some of the higher salary, higher projected point guys in in the starting window can be really good plays when later value opens up because you can't go back and get more exposure to these guys. Now everybody is getting more exposure to the higher salary players in the later windows because everyone, every a lot of players who are late swapping are capitalizing on the value and playing the, the best projected plays that are left. So, you know, getting to, you know, rolling the dice, if you're, trying to optimize for late swap and taking some shots on the higher fantasy point guys in the early windows can create some ownership discrepancies that you might not have seen if the news had broke sooner. So these are like kind of advanced strategies and advanced ways of thinking about late swap. But you know, you were referencing this video with Max and Jordan and like, these are some of the things that you want to be thinking about when you are trying to optimize for late swap. Uh, not saying you have to do all of these things, but just some food for thought, some things for you guys to chew on and come back to me with any more questions that you might have. So really good question there, GM33. Uh, if anybody has any follow-up, let me know, but we are going to keep it rolling. have a couple questions from six in the YouTube chat, and those are our last questions. So if anybody has any more questions, now is the time to get them in. Okay, question here. Afternoon NFL single game rule question is there a way to set up a rule that will dock an individual player's projection in the event that a specific player is used and then i'm going to follow up here uh six at me again what's the best way to set up a rule that says use one player with lower than x percent own but with a projection greater than 10 points thanks i'm thinking of using two stat requirements in the same rule is the way okay so I just wanted to see if these questions uh, were were similar or not. So question is, you know, is there a way to set up a rule that will dock an individual player's projection in the event that a specific player is used? So the answer is no. I would be really interested to see, you know, how exactly you're, you're trying to, what, what you're trying to get with this. So, you know, you said it's a single game rule question. So sounds like you're trying to, well, I, I just, I don't know exactly how this would work. So, cause you're basically saying that, you know, if Tom Brady is in the flex, then I want you to lower the projection for, I don't know, Leonard Fournette, but I don't, I don't know. Like, I guess it's more of like a sequencing thing. Like by the time Tom Brady is put into your lineup, we are done analyzing the Sims, you know, Tom Brady's getting put in your lineup because the Sims were already pulled. So there's no really point to uh, docking a player's projection kind of at that point. Like the lineup is, is solved. So I think that, you know, there's like a little back and forth there about, you know, what you're trying to get at. And, 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 and if you're still here, you know, let me know so we could figure out a way to kind of get you more what you are, are looking for. Maybe you're trying to, um, avoid you know negative correlations and um so 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 maybe you know we could we could experiment with with increasing the correlation slider uh maybe we could um experiment with like a group role you know if there's like a player that you just never want to use 
together. We could do like a manual group rule and say, you know, use no more than one. And maybe it's like Tom Brady and, and, and the saints, you know, the saints had like the highest negative correlation uh, to Tom Brady. So you're saying, you know, if I'm using Tom Brady, you know, I don't even want to chance it. And and I don't want to use him with the saints defense. And maybe you make a rule that looks like this for, for a different type of situation. Um, I think that's okay. So, you know, let me know like exactly what you're getting at, but, but there's, there's no reason to dock somebody's projection uh, at the point that you're kind of talking about it. It would have to be something that you either set up front or, or as like a rule. So like as an input, you know, maybe you dock the projection early or you, you'd create some type of rule or you filter out those lineups post build is, is another option. You know, uh, you, you come in here, you let's, let's build some lineups. You know, we could, we could demo that as well, but you would basically just use the filters and then get rid of the lineups that have some type of specific combination. Cause I, I don't know why you would really want to play it like a percentage of the time if you're very specific about it. So, so, you know, I come in here, uh, I'm going to look at all 500 lineups and I'm going to say, you know, when Tom Brady is captain, uh, never play the saints in the flex. And it looks like there's three lineups that, that meet that criteria. So, I would filter for both of them and then I would hit this trash. It's going to remove all three lineups in one move rather than going and having to trash each lineup individually. It's kind of like a bulk trash option. So that that's one way that I could think of trying to solve the problem that you're trying to solve. Or you could be like more meticulous and actually look at these lineups and determine which ones you want to trash and which ones you do not. So, so you know, I think there are a couple ways to kind of get to the point that you're trying to look at for different scenarios. I just kind of demo two with the rules and with the filtering and trash options in step three. So I would, I would try those out and, and uh, let me know if you can not get what you are looking for specifically. Okay. So it says, say if Fournette is used doc Rashad, not to rule the pairing out completely, but limit exposure in multiple lineups. So, so yeah, I mean, what I will say is that, you know, if you open up, uh, Rashad's correlation. Um, we we think he's pretty neutral to Fournette. I think that the best thing to do would be, you know, the example that you're looking for is that, you know, okay, I'm, I'm using Rashad. It, how many of my lineups have Fournette? It looks like 20%. Maybe you're not comfortable with that. Maybe you only want, you know, 10%, right? So so let's drop this back down to 20. I have uh or let's let's say you're playing 150. I have 32 with him. I only have 15% that also have Fournette for five. So I'm going to look at these. And I'm going to look at the ones that also have Fournette. I have five lineups. I'm just going to spot check these. And I'm going to, maybe I want to get rid of like the worst ones. You know, the ones that have the lowest Sabre score in, in this instance. So then, boom, got rid of those. Now I only have three lineups where out of the 30 that have Rashad that also have Fournette. So I think that's one way and probably the easiest way to handle it. I don't think you could really handle it any other way. All right. Uh, next question was what's the best way to set up a rule that says use one player with lower than X percent own, but with a projection greater than 10 points. Okay. So I definitely think this is a stat requirement rule. Let's go over the home screen. So I'm going to use a group rule automatic i'm gonna say 
that says use one player. So I'm going to say use exactly one, and I'm going to make it a flex rule, which I think you want it as a flex rule. So let me know if I'm wrong. So first stat requirement, my own, you know, I don't even know what the ownership projections are. So let's, let's come in here. So maybe we say less than 15, you know, for the sake of the example, my own less than 15 and then second stat requirement. You can add as many as you want where my projection is greater than. So like in this instance, there are no players whose ownership is less than 15 and greater than 10. Um, I mean, I think that, you know, in, in single game, you know, if you, if you have a projection of 10, you're probably getting more ownership just because there are so few options with that high of a projection. But, but I don't know, maybe we say, you know, less than 15, but greater than, I'm going to say one for this, for instance, like we're going to get rid of all these players in like the zero. And we're going to say, you know, somebody with a one that gives us a group of one, two, three, four, five, six players. So greater than one. And then I'm going to save that rule. So then if I were to go in here and look at it, you know, I want to save it as a manual rule. This is going to say, you know, use exactly one player that meets these two requirements. And if we go in and make a build now, it should honor that. So we're looking for like five-ish players to show up here. And, uh, you know, we could, we could spot check this, make sure it's working correctly. But I would just... I would just tweak the numbers that you're looking for a little bit based on the slate. So maybe in like a different slate you were building for, you could do that. In this one, unfortunately, we can't. So, okay, so we have Cameron Brait here, you know, 13% owned, uh, greater than one point projection. This one we have Kate Otten, you know, four points at 9% ownership. Uh, this one we have Brait again. This one we have... Great again. So it looks like, you know, the rule is leading to us getting a lot of great in these lineups. Looks like we have a Saints D in this one. So the rule seems to be being followed. Um, you know, you could you could mess around with different variations of this rule, different requirements. But, but you know, the, I think the point of, of this question is that you could set up a rule with multiple stat requirements and they will be followed in the post-build uh, process. So I think like that is more of the key takeaway is that you can use a multiple stat requirements. So let me know if there is any follow-up there. So, you know, six and not to rule out the pairing completely, but limit exposure and multi lineups. That was in regards to the four net white example. And then also said, looks good. Thanks. So happy to touch on that there. Uh, and, you know, get, get your questions answered. That is what we are here for. But that being said, everybody not seeing any more questions. Coming in today, uh, we will be right back here tomorrow, Tuesday, December 6th, for our regularly scheduled show at 2 p.m. Eastern. If anybody has any more questions that uh, or issues that they're running into, throw a message in the support channel. Team will make sure to get back to you sooner rather than later. But until tomorrow, good luck in your contests, and I will see you all then. Thanks. Bye.